This week on Geek Explained, with the return of Henry Cavill as Superman and the hotly anticipated Shazam! Fury of the Gods on the Horizon, we're taking a look at one of my favorite stories featuring the Earth's mightiest mortals. So join me as I put the Geek Explained spotlight on Superman Shazam! First Thunder. Welcome back to Geek Explained. I'm your host, Eric Kazana, and today's episode is the latest edition of our Geek Explained Spotlight series, where every month I take a specific comic book and tell you just why it's so freaking cool. And this month, we are taking a look at Superman Shazam First Thunder. Now, fun fact, this was the first comic that I ever read that featured the character of Shazam, slash Captain Marvel, slash Billy Batson, slash Champion of Shazam, slash all of the other uh, nomenclatures that the character has received over the years. And obviously, of course, because it's me, I had to read my first Shazam comic through the lens of Superman. So I have held on to this comic for a very long time. It's been one of my favorites. And both of these characters have been in the news lately. Uh, if you have been living under a Dwayne Johnson, the role of Superman has been reclaimed by Henry Cavill in the uh, in the DCU, the DC film universe, whatever James Gunn wants to call it now, and we do have a sequel to one of my favorite DCEU films, aka Shazam! Fury of the Gods. It's been unfortunately delayed until next year, which sucks, but because we are heading into the holiday season, and I like to think that the first Shazam! movie is a holiday movie, I wanted to talk about it. I wanted to talk about the first ever meeting in comics between the these two. Now, canonically, these two have met a dozen other times before this comic was published, but I absolutely adore this as a retelling of their first meeting. So we are going to be diving in and letting you know why this comic rules and talking about what it means to be a superhero. Uh, before we get into that, though, I did want to just briefly touch on uh, something that happened over the past week. Um... When I was a kid growing up, I think like many kids in the 90s, I was a huge fan of Power Rangers. Uh, I was specifically a Jason fan. I was the uh, I was the kid who wanted to be the Red Ranger. But growing up, I always understood that Tommy Oliver was the greatest Power Ranger of them all. And unfortunately, over this past week, uh, his actor, Jason David Frank, one of the most revered actors in all of, I think, uh, Saturday morning cartoons and media, uh, passed away this past week due to, um, due to taking his own life. And it is an incredibly sobering uh, realization when you see people who are your heroes and find out how much they were struggling. Um, this has been a tough year for a lot of people, and I think that this hits me a little bit harder 
than I expected due to uh, me getting back into Power Rangers over the past couple months. Uh, if you missed it for um, for August, my birth month, uh, during my recovery following my recent surgery, I was laid up and I got back into uh, Power Rangers comics and... A large part of those comics was the character of Tommy Oliver. And Jason David Frank is a person who has inspired so many people and touched the lives of millions around the world. And to know that um, he was struggling with the same demons that a lot of us struggle with is heartbreaking. Uh, I have dealt with a lot of those same feelings, those same, um, those same thoughts, and it is never an easy thing to combat. And I want to just briefly, like, let everyone know, if you are listening to this, if you are going through tough times, if you are feeling like there is no way out for you, um, there is help. I know it might not always feel like it, but there are people who love you and people who want to see you succeed and see you thrive. And I think that when we get uh, so busy in our lives, we tend to forget that. We tend to forget that we do have people who care about us, who want to see us just be happy. And being happy, I think, is subjective for a lot of people. It's definitely, uh, it definitely has a different connotation to everyone. Everyone has a different measuring stick for what happy is. But uh, for me, it's, it's sobering to know that someone that I looked up to growing up was dealing with the same demons that I deal with. And I want people who have been struggling with that whether it's been a recent thing whether it's been over the course of years to know that you are not alone you are loved and i do recommend seeing professional help i know it's scary it's it's never an easy thing to reach out to anyone much less a stranger like a therapist or a psychiatrist or anything like that but it is worth it it is worth the time it is worth it to fight the demons that we are fighting um so yeah i just wanted to reach out uh you can get help please get help if you are struggling i will try and link some resources in the show notes for if you are looking to get help uh i do recommend it as someone who has benefited from seeking out professional help um it's a scary leap but it is worth it so um yeah it is worth it because we lost a legend over the past week and the world is dimmer for it um but yeah i just wanted to mention that because i feel like you know i i talked about on the podcast how much the power rangers mean to me especially as i turned 30 and uh this has been a very, very tough couple of weeks for my childhood. So, um, but we are going to 
continue on. We are going to power through and we are going to give you, uh, I, I think, a pretty good podcast. <laughs> so uh, we do have the main podcast talking about uh, Superman Shazam for Slender. And we also have, of course, this week's Comics Countdown, where I'll chat you up about all the comics you should be checking out this week. So make sure you stay tuned for that after the jump. But for now, let's roll right on into the main event, the main course, the entree, if you will, as we put the Geeksplain spotlight on Superman Shazam First Thunder. I've always been a fan of Superman. I think it's pretty well documented throughout this podcast how much of a fan I am of the Man of Steel. And due to that, I tend to seek out his story specifically, whether it's through animation, in film, or especially in comics. And following through Superman's publication history... Because he was the first and the best, he's crossed over with a lot of people. A lot of superheroes get their first kind of major crossover stories with Superman. He is the dad of DC Comics, where if you want somebody to feel like they've made it, or they're big time, or they're part of the wider DC universe, you have Superman show up. And... It's interesting to me that a character as popular as Superman in the modern era has never really had any kind of challenger to his throne, to his, you know, his idealized place among not just DC Comics, but comics in general. There's never been a character who in my mind is more synonymous with superheroes than Superman. But it all, wasn't always that way. Way back in the far-flung past of the 1940s and 50s, another character came along that rivaled Superman's popularity, and his name was Captain Marvel. Billy Batson, chosen by the wizard Shazam to be his champion to fight against all manner of magical villainy, uh, as well as organized crime, because that's what you do when you fight crime and you're a superhero. You fight against the mob and all kinds of institutionalized corruption. But the Earth's Mightiest Mortal, for a while, was outselling even Superman. And people liked Shazam, back then known as Captain Marvel, a hell of a lot more than the Big Blue Boy Scout. But eventually that went away due to lawsuits, due to loss of popularity, due to uh, just Fawcett Comics not really being able to keep itself together during the decline of the superhero. And eventually, Captain Marvel made his way to the DC Universe and crossed over with Superman. 
And that story is for another day, but today we're taking a look at the modern retelling of that first meeting in Judd Winnick and Joshua Middleton's Superman Shazam First Thunder. This was a story uh, published in 2005 and 2006, and funny enough, was my first introduction to comic book Captain Marvel. I remember... Not very distinctly, but I remember vaguely seeing him in the episode The Clash, not the band, uh, of Justice League Unlimited. And I remember really being interested in the character, but I didn't know anything about him when the show was coming out. And it wasn't until years later when I came across this book in a Barnes & Noble shelf, and I picked it up because, of course, I love Superman, and I've... I could swear I remembered this guy with the lightning bolt on his chest from somewhere. And what I was treated to was a story about responsibility, a story about friendship, and a story about finding your place in the world and sometimes how that translates into finding the place for someone else. And... I love this story. I love Superman Shazam First Thunder. I think it's a wonderful book to introduce to people the concept of Shazam, of Captain Marvel as a character. This was, of course, back during the era where he was still called Captain Marvel. Um, But I, I think that this is a book that you can hand to people who have never met the character or who want to learn more about the character. Obviously, there are other stories that focus solely on Captain Marvel slash Sazam as a character, but for me as somebody who has always followed along with Superman, this was the perfect introduction to the character and got me interested in learning more about him as time went on. So what I want to do is kind of spotlight this story as part of our Geek Explained Spotlight series because this story might become fairly relevant as the years go by because i don't know if you've heard maybe you haven't but in the latest film of the dc universe black adam uh there was a post-credit scene where superman returned and not just faceless nameless superman henry cavill himself stepped out of the shadows saying black adam we should talk and this got Everybody buzzing. Arguably more so... No, not arguably. Definitely more so than the actual movie itself. Um, I went and watched this movie in a mostly empty theater by myself. And this was the loudest that the theater was. It was really cool to see Henry Cavill back. We know how much he loves the character. We know that he has been let's say, hampered in the past by uh, not being able to be the type of Superman that he wants to portray as the character. And now with him back as the big blue Boy Scout, as the Man of Steel, the sky's the limit for him, no pun intended. And he is got a wealth of stories that they can draw from in the films or they can tell original stories. But... Specifically, with him showing up in the post credit scene of Black Adam, that can only mean to me that eventually we will see both Henry Cavill and Zachary Levi together as Superman and Shazam, Captain Marvel. And 
yes, we got a post credit scene, or I guess you could say it was the ending scene of uh, Superman showing up, but it wasn't Henry Cavill. Uh, so canonically, they've met, but I'm sure that if they do have the two of them cross paths, they'll treat it like, oh, it's the first time. And we also do have a Shazam movie coming out fairly soon. It was supposed to come out next month as of this recording in the December of 2022, but it has been pushed back to 2023. I was a little bummed by that because I liked the first Shazam movie as kind of a holiday film. It took place around Christmas time, and I think that superhero Christmas movies are few and far between, and there should be more of them. But I will take not getting my Christmas superhero movie as long as we get another Shazam movie because I've gone on record as saying that is one of my favorite DC movies of all time. I love that movie to death, and I'm very excited to watch the sequel. And with it being pushed back, uh, there's all kinds of rumors and speculation on why that was. Um, Most of the scuttlebutt around it has been that you know, Warner Brothers Discovery doesn't have enough money to put out another movie this year, which is unfortunate. But I would love it if in a post credit scene we do get a mention of Black Adam or Superman. Uh, I think it'd be super cool, personally. But I think that this story in Superman Shazam First Thunder is only going to become more relevant as the years go by. So I wanted to take the time to spotlight it. Plus... It's just a really good story, and I really like talking about Superman and Shazam. So, this story uh, is written by Judd Winnick. Judd Winnick is, I think, best known for Green Arrow, Black Canary, but he's done all kinds of other stories, some of which are some of my favorites in comics. And he has a wonderful voice for these characters. And I... I have never picked a Judd Winnick book up that I haven't enjoyed, And complimenting him in this story is wonderful art by Joshua Middleton. Joshua Middleton, I think, as of right now, as of this recording, is mostly known for his hyper-realistic variant covers. Some of which are gorgeous. Uh, The last one that I picked up was, coincidentally enough, for the new Champion of Shazam, featuring a wonderful cover of Mary Marvel in his photorealistic style. This is not that. You can see how much Joshua Middleton's art has changed from when this was coming out in the mid-2000s to now, because in this story, it's much um, much more cartoony, much more anime in fact, uh, there are some very anime shots and some very anime compositions in this story that I, of course, adore because that was my childhood growing up. But what is really fun about this story is that you get to see just how different Superman and Captain Marvel are. And the two of them are drawn differently, they're handled differently, even the framing of them is differently, is differently, is different. And you get to see how they compare and how they contrast. Because, of course, the two of them standing side by side, there are obvious obvious parallels. Dark-haired, muscle-bound heroes in capes. And for a while, that was kind of the reason that uh, DC was having so much trouble with Captain Marvel and Fawcett Comics because they looked at Captain Marvel as a Superman knockoff. And maybe he was! Maybe he wasn't, who's to say? But the two of them 
side by side in a story can provide a problem if you don't have the right writer the right artist because it would be very easy for both of them to be drawn and or written the same way and thankfully in the story they aren't thankfully in the story they each have very uh defined archetypes and defined voices and defined looks superman is a bit more square-jawed he's a bit more broad while uh Shazam or Captain Marvel is a bit more round when it comes to his face, his hair, uh, even his uh, his body type. He's still like large. He's still superhero large, but he's more size where Superman is more definition. And the two of them strike a pretty imposing uh, picture with the two of them. And having the story centered around Billy rather than centering around Superman, gives you everything that you need to know about this story and gives you that emotional thrust. And the story obviously has to do with Billy and his uh, his early days as Captain Marvel. As the story begins, we see the wizard Shazam talking about the second, the beginning of the second age of heroes. This is a very interesting sweet spot because the, the first age of heroes was obviously the JSA. Characters like the Flash, Green Lantern, Wildcat, Our Man, uh, the Sandman, all of that stuff. But Superman was part of that era. And in this modern retelling of that story, he was part of it too. And we are right on the cusp of a new age of heroes. There's mentions of the coming of the Amazon, the speedster, the space knight. He says, It has been less than one year since the criminals of the city of Gotham began to tell stories of a winged creature. So this is very early days for the Silver Age of DC Comics. And... The Silver Age has gotten a lot of play in recent years. I think the best example right now is Mark Wade, uh, Dan Mora's uh, World's Finest, which is kind of doing a retelling of early Silver Age stuff while featuring characters from that era in their time. And I love it. I love that book to death. It's so good. Uh, but an interesting, I guess, angle to take with this is that Superman in this story is very alone as a character. He has been around for a while. And he is kind of unique in his position because he is a superhero in the largest metropolis in the no in the US and has to kind of figure out the superhero thing as he goes. He doesn't have a mentor, he doesn't have a guide. And so all of his um all of his exploits and all of his knowledge of superheroing has been acquired through experience. And over in Fawcett City, we see that someone is trying to do the same. Billy Batson is trying to figure out how to be a hero. He is a fan of Superman. He does have that ideal, that experience to strive towards. And what I love that how this story starts is it's a very Superman problem. We have bright shining city, aircraft coming down, about to crash on people. It's stopped by a man in a cape. And the striking image of Captain Marvel standing there with this uh, this biplane just tucked under his arm like it's a football and him just beaming in the sunlight just saying I've got this like he is amazing 
And immediately, again, you get Superman vibes. If you've never met this character before, you know what he's about. And the wizard Shazam starts to speak of challenges that he's going to have to deal with. And we segue right into a art heist. Uh, this is one of several that have been uh, perpetrated across the U.S. And this latest one is in Metropolis, where these art thieves are coming across Superman. And I love the portrayal of Superman here. He's very classic Superman, where he's got this confidence about him, the way he carries himself. He knows how powerful he is, and he's willing to do what it takes to uh, to put down threats, though, of course, with a gentle, guiding hand. And this is where uh, Superman first encounters magic in this story. Uh, these art thieves aren't just any art thieves. They are part of a cult. A mystical magical cult that are taking artifacts and trying to utilize them to bring about something. And I love Superman's aversion to magic. There's a panel here where he, after kind of dispatching the first magical creature, picks up a coin, a token, that was used to summon this creature. And just the look on his face is just like, ugh, magic. And I, I love the relationship that he has with magic and mysticism because that is one of his weaknesses. And it segues nicely into the introduction or reintroduction of Captain Marvel, who's fighting some super fighting robots, too, to be exact. Uh, it's a classic Captain Marvel thing. He's fighting giant robots. These designs, I think, are homages to some of the original robots that he fought in his comics. And we see that he's got a lot of the same skills as Superman, but he doesn't have laser vision ice breath. He's just very strong and very fast. He is what we in the biz call a wrecking ball superhero. He can fly, he can hit hard, he's durable, and that's about it. And that's what he that's really all he needs. It wouldn't be until later on that he would be given the kind of like electrokinesis. So this is very classic Captain Marvel, just as much as it's very classic Superman. And we also get an introduction in this story to Dr. Savannah, who is not quite the mad scientist Dr. Savannah that he is in classic Captain Marvel. He's more business mogul in the vein of Lex Luthor, who he does end up uh, coming across. And the two, I love how much Savannah and Luthor hate each other because they are so very similar. But Savannah is the worst in this story. He is just absolutely terrible. He says some really god-awful things in the story, and though I think that can be, you know, you have to tread very lightly in the kind of things that a character in a comic book says as a writer... As long as you frame it in the fact that this person is wrong and he is wrong for saying these things, I think that gives you a little bit more wiggle room and a bit more cushion to have despicable people say and do despicable things because they are, in fact, the villains. Um, the first meeting between Superman and Shazam is really fun. Uh, Captain Marvel is fighting against the same art thieves after they have actually come to his city. And when Superman shows up, Captain Marvel's like, oh my god, you're Superman! You're Superman! And Superman's like, yes. Uh, you're being very odd, similarly built, 
adult man. <laughs> I just love how different they are when it comes to how they interact with each other. Um, I mentioned the meeting between uh, Lex and Savannah, and we find out that uh, Savannah is utilizing this spy from Lex to find out more about Captain Marvel since he's been such a pain in the side of Savannah for some time. And getting the opportunity to see not just the two heroes from uh, from Parallel Cities interact, but also the two villains in a very uh, Batman-Superman world's finest, the Batman-Superman power hour uh, way is really cool. And again, Savannah and Lex Luthor are very similar when it comes to both their mad scientist roots and then their later on business mogul interpretations. But having them working together to suss out Captain Marvel's uh, secret identity is, I think, really well done. And the venom that is just dripping from their dialogue with each other is exquisite. It is so, so good. Um, we do find out that the art thieves are part of the Bagdan cult. They're trying to revive the evil entity Sabak, which if you watched Black Adam, you might be familiar with. He is the evil devil uh, counterpart to Shazam. And that he's got like the powers of Satan, Beelzebub, uh, Azrael, that kind of thing. And it's fascinating to me that they utilize that alongside a not as well-known villain, uh, Eclipso. Eclipso shows up if you've been watching uh, Stargirl, which you should have. It's incredible. Uh, he was the villain for season two, and... Eclipso's a fun character, though he doesn't really do a whole lot. All of the story... I've never read, like, a solid Eclipso story where he's just, like, this... Treated like this worldwide threat. He's usually a guy who blocks out the sun and he walks around in Green Goblin cosplay. And, like, that's his deal, right? I think the most terrifying that Eclipso has ever been you know, treated is in Stargirl, funny enough. Uh, watch season two. It's fantastic. Also watch season one and season three because they're amazing. And this show has been canceled and I will suffer forever. But you get to see through this first meeting with Superman and Captain Marvel the differences between the two of them. Uh, Superman is vulnerable to magic. Captain Marvel is not. Superman has all these extra abilities that Captain Marvel does not have. And so the two of them working together is really... Uh, it's really fun to see them, where they make up for each other, where they are able to compare and contrast. And after they finish up their first meeting, they go and just chill and have a bro chat on Mount Everest. And this first conversation is really where you get to see uh, the crux of Superman's character arc in the story. Because the two of them start just like chatting, like they're two co-workers. And you get to see how lonely... Superman is the fact that he is by himself as kind of the world's premier superhero at this time and he's got this young upstart in Captain Marvel and he's just like telling stories about his dad and his childhood and then he kind of stops himself and he's like oh I have to be guarded I I don't tell people about my life outside of the outside of the S and he talks about this he mentions this really nice uh this really nice moment about how he uh, he wears the costume to let people know that he's different from them. How 
if he was just in street clothes, people might panic. People might be like, oh my god, this, you know, mutant person is like, has all these strange abilities. But wearing this outlandish costume allows people to kind of separate that. And it's like, oh yeah, he has these powers because he's Superman. And I really like the treatment of that. I really, really do. And so you get to see how Superman is still, he's got a wall up. And even with this guy who, for the first time, is someone who he can confide in, who he can uh, just kind of talk shop with. This is before he gains that friendship with with uh, Batman, how he still has to keep himself guarded. And he even says, you know, he's like, I hope you understand. And Captain Marvel says, well, like, yeah, well, sure, I understand. I just think it kind of stinks. Because we find out that uh, Captain Marvel, Billy, has a friend. He has a friend who he gets to confide in, who knows, very much in the same vein as, uh, as, uh, oh my god, what is his name? Uh, it's not Billy, it's the other one. Oh no, what is his name? He's Captain Marvel Jr. He's his best friend. I see him so plainly, I'm just gonna move on. I can't remember his name, I'm sure someone is shouting at me right now. Uh, but he has... Freddy, Freddy, Freddy in every other uh, version of the of the comics of adaptations. But in this, he has um, he doesn't have Freddy. I can't remember what his name is right now. Let me get through this and I will find what he said. Uh, Scott, Scott, Scott is his name. Uh, Good name, Scott. Scott is his friend. I guess he lives at a foster home and uh, he, you know, helps out Billy. He's known Billy for a while. They're friends. Billy doesn't want to be in another foster home. So he's living on the streets. He's living in a subway uh, with other homeless or uh, houseless people. And it's, uh, it's really interesting to have this kind of compare and contrast between the two of them in so many ways between Superman and Captain Marvel uh having them you know Superman is lonely but Captain Marvel is uh he has a friend that he can confide in however he's very insecure about his role as the Earth's Mightiest Mortal, where Superman has never been more secure about his role as the Man of Steel. And when Eclipso returns, blots out the sun, when Sabak is summoned, and we have to have this fight on two different fronts, you get to see how the two of them work together as a team, and also separately. Um, we see that Superman goes to deal with Eclipso while uh, Captain Marvel goes off to fight Sabak. At the same time, uh, Savannah is, gets the information from Luthor's spy about Captain Marvel's secret identity. And it is, uh, it is sad because you know it's about to happen. And as the fight rages on, we get to see uh, this really great moment where Eclipso uses the people who he has kind of uh, taken control of and uses them against Superman, saying, oh, they're a little bit stronger than normal humans, but I'm sure they'd be no problem with for you as long as you're willing to you know, use lethal force. And of course, it's Superman, so he's not, so he's getting overwhelmed. While uh, Captain Marvel has to use his brains and his smarts to get Sabak to say his name uh, 
taunting him using kind of uh, schoolyard bully tactics, you know, going like, you're this big bad guy and you don't even have a name. You don't even have a title. The guy says, I am Lord Sabak. And he's like, ah, got you. As, you know, he is stripped of his powers again. Meanwhile, Superman, in the uh, in the narration, he says uh, in his uh, thought boxes, says, they will not be harmed. Not by my hand. Never by my hand. They will harmlessly fall off as I vibrate the air around me and land back on a cushion of air as I take my leave of them. So Superman, even though he's overwhelmed by this mob of people, finds a non-lethal, non-violent way to dispatch them. That's Superman. And I hope, I hope to everything that is holy that when we get uh, this next Henry Cavill story that we will get a Superman who takes this kind of thing into account. No more toppling cities for me, thanks. Uh, We see... Superman is able to disable Eclipso, is able to dispatch the cult, and Captain Marvel is able to disable the uh, the Lord Sabak and able to take him into custody and hold him in the Rock of Eternity. Uh, that night, uh, he, Captain Marvel returns Billy to his uh, his little uh, his little tent in the subway, and you know it's coming. There is a moment with uh, Savannah, who was just an absolute dick, who, uh, when talking to his uh, his vice president of Savannah uh, Technologies, uh, Mr. Chang, he's like, "What if you're wrong? What if the son? What if the spy like got the information wrong?" And Savannah's like, "Well, then I've mercilessly gunned down an innocent boy. I'll live with it." He's just the worst. He's terrible. And what we come to find out as uh, Billy and Scott are confronted by this SWAT team, they open fire. And even though uh, Captain Marvel is able to arrive, basically Billy's able to, there's this great uh, narration where he's like, he heard one of them cock a gun before they opened fire. Two weeks after he began this adventure, he stopped a bank robbery. One of the gunmen opened fire on him. The gun made the same noise before it fired. Just chills. I don't know why that moment, but you see the narration as the you know soldiers are raising their rifles, Billy's eyes getting wide, and then you just hear him whisper, Shazam. Because, oh, it's so cool. And you see him appear, the lightning strike, the bullets bouncing off him. He takes out the, uh, the SWAT team, and then he turns around. He's like, ah, some fun, huh, Scott? Looks like you're going to get your wish. I'm going to have to leave the subway. Scott, you still there or did you take off? Hey, man, I... And he turns around and... Scott has been gunned down. Cold blood. Um, Captain Marvel rushes him to the hospital. And there is a heartbreaking page where we see him outside the operating room as they do everything they can to save the boy's life. But ultimately, he passes away. And then we get to see the kind of flashpoint, not that one, for Captain Marvel, for Billy Batson as a person. Um, At the police station, one of the gunmen is being uh, questioned by the police, by the detectives, when Captain Marvel busts in. He busts in the interrogation room, flips the table, grabs the guy, forces his head down onto the floor, and is like, who... Who hired you? 
and the guy isn't giving anything up. So he says that the cold, one of the coldest lines uh, Billy Batson has ever said. He says, tell me now or I'll crush your head. Then I'll walk downstairs to the holding cells and ask your partners. I'll bring your dead, headless body with me, and then they'll tell me. So for the last time, who hired you? Ah, so good. Uh, We see Savannah is sipping on a bottle of Shavaz Regal, age 12 years, uh, because he knows what's coming. He knows what's about to happen. And when Captain Marvel busts into his penthouse... And grabs him by the throat. Savannah's at. He knows he's done. And Captain Marvel's there to kill him. No ambiguity. No question. He says, I'm trying to find some reason to let you live. But I can't. I know if I let you go, you're just going to keep hurting. Keep murdering people. I'm not sure I can live with that. And he's choking the life out of Servana. His his face is turning blue, but ultimately Captain Marvel drops him and leaves. And I love that the final issue, because this is a four-issue miniseries, and they get all of the like big bombastic fights out of the way in the first three issues. This fourth issue is just in reaction to the death of Scott. Uh, when Clark returns to the Daily Planet, he finds out that Lois is already covering the story of Captain Marvel rampaging through the police station. And we cut to Mount Everest. And I love this scene. Superman shows up and he finds Captain Marvel there. And Superman's immediately just like, <laughs> I love how he addresses him as sir. He's like, sir, you are going to have to account for your actions. Like he is just like, he is trying to grab his buddy who has just been a drinking idiot the entire night. And he's trying to let him know like, dude, there are consequences for this. Like you can't just bust into a place and expect there not to be. And then he stops and he sees that Captain Marvel is just sobbing. He is broken. He's having a full on emotional breakdown And he tells him, like, look, like, that was my best friend. My best friend got killed because of me. And Superman's face is just like, your best friend? Like, dude, that was a child? And Captain Marvel's, yeah, yeah, I I know that probably sounds weird. Let me explain. Shazam. And we see one of my favorite pages in any Superman story I've ever read. We see Billy Batson smoke coming off of him after he's reverted and he's like my name's billy batson but maybe it's too dangerous to be billy batson anymore and the response of superman there's a pause and he just goes who did this to you and we get this incredible scene between superman and the wizard shazam where he's just like what did you do like this is a child you gave a child the power Of me, basically. He should not have to have this resting on his soul. This should not be his responsibility. You gave the power of a god to a child and asked him to be responsible with it. And asked him to deal with the consequences of it. And I I just love that he's defending Billy. And rightly questioning the entire basis behind Captain Marvel and Shazam as a character and the wizard basically tells him like look he is a boy 
and he needs guidance. And this sad, like, Gandalf-looking man is able to convince Superman not just to help Billy in a time of crisis at his lowest point, but also to look at him as himself. Uh, Superman mentions in the earlier conversation with uh, Captain Marvel that all of his powers came to him uh, without warning and without any kind of guidance. And he mentions how he ended up in outer space at 17 by accident. He never had the guidance and had to learn on his own how to be a superhero, how to deal with the consequences of being a superhero. He has the opportunity to be a mentor, to be a helping hand for Billy. And so we see Billy at this halfway house. Uh, Clark Kent, not Superman, Clark Kent approaches him and he's like, hey, like, I, you live here? And Billy's like, what are you, from social services? He's this, like, he's a street punk. He's just like, what, you're not taking me in to child protective services, man. And uh, Clark looks at him. He's like, I'm not from social services. And he opens up his shirt to reveal the Superman costume. And he sits next to Billy and he says, my real name is Clark. In this moment, Superman has the opportunity to keep himself walled off, to keep himself at arm's length from this boy who is going through the same things, albeit on a much more accelerated scale than Clark had to deal with. But in this moment, Superman knows that what he needs isn't somebody who is protecting him. He doesn't need somebody who is, you know taking the reins or telling him what to do he needs a friend and that is what superman is that's why chris reeves hit at the heart of that character when he said what superman means is he's a friend he's the kind of guy who would run down and help you change your tire or give you a lift back home if your car died superman is there as a friend to look at you not as a mortal not as a human being not as a you know someone who's smaller than him but as a friend a friend worth defending a friend worth fighting for and a friend worth helping and this moment is so oh god it's so beautiful to me um where clark just kind of sits with billy and he is opening himself up this is the first time he is able to share because at this point you know lois doesn't know his parents do, but this is the first person that Clark is able to open up to and let him know who he is. In the moment that he is helping Billy, he's also helping himself. He's learning to he's learning to take the lessons that he's learned and apply them. He's learning to not have Billy fall into the same stumbling blocks that he had because Billy in that moment when he reveals himself to Superman, he's like, maybe it's not safe to be Billy anymore. In that same way that Superman is not able to let people know who Clark Kent is, Billy's at a flashpoint, not that one, of shutting off himself, of not allowing himself to have connections. And Clark realizes how damaging that is because he has had to deal with those same things. And now, neither of them are alone. Neither of them are 
the only people they can confide in. They now have each other. And I think that's beautiful. I think that's amazing. I think that it's two friends coming together to try and navigate this scary world together. And again, this takes place long before there's a Justice League. This is the second age of superheroes, but before Wonder Woman, The Flash, Green Lantern, even Batman are really on the scene. And so the two of them are these ships adrift in the ocean, and they're able to find safe harbor with each other. And I love that. And the story finishes with the end of the beginning. Letting you know that there are more stories to tell. The two will team up again. They will have more adventures and more heroes will arrive. And with the two of them kind of leading the way in very much the same vein as they were in actual publication history. When the two biggest heroes in the world were Superman and Captain Marvel. When DC and Fawcett Comics were rivaling each other trying to get trying to outdo each other in sales and merchandise the two of them are able to lead this new age of heroes not in the same way of their predecessors not as a first age of heroes that wasn't built to last and was taken apart due to fear and suspicion but they're able to lead this second age of heroes this silver age of heroes into an era of togetherness an other an era of teamwork and they're able to lead these heroes into a new frontier to take a uh, a DC title and use that. And as the years go on, as the uh, rise and fall of heroes comes along, as we see heroes reach greater heights than they ever would have imagined, they're able to trace it all back to this moment between two friends they're able to trace it back to the first thunder welcome back to this week's comics countdown this is the segment of our show where i'll chat you up about all the comics you should be picking up this week whether it's at your local comic book shop a comiXology or however you get your comics these are the ones i think you should definitely take a look at but before we get into this week's books we got to take a look back at last week's books with the geek explain pick of the week of last week and i was completely prepared to come in here and tell you about how great world's finest is as it always is but the book that stole my my imagination last week was in fact Batman One Bad Day Mr. Freeze number one written by Jerry Duggan art by Matteo Scalera uh, this book had it all I absolutely adored it the art was stellar the writing was fantastic as we come to expect from these uh, One Bad Day books and with of course the creative team involved I just loved it there are very few stories, I think, since the animated series that have elevated the character of Victor Freeze or had something to say when it came to uh, when it comes to his comics. And I will say, hot take, I enjoyed the angle that they went at with him for the New Fifty Two, even though it's maybe not the vision I have for the character. But I really, really adored what they did with Mr. Freeze in this story, and I'm excited to continue on with the series. So uh, check out that book. Check out all the Batman One Bad Day books. They have been fantastic so far. This might be my favorite. It might be my favorite out of the whole thing. Um, it's, it's a toss-up right there between this one and Riddler. So 
we'll keep a run, running tally as we go. But that's last week's books. This week we've got one, one, two, three, nine books for you to check out this week. So let's go ahead and dive into them. First up, we have a tie-in to Dark Crisis, that being Dark Crisis, the Dark Army number one. This is written by Mark Way, Dennis Culver, and Delilah S. Dawson, with art by Freddie Williams II and Jackson Herbert. And this looks like it's going to be another um, boots-on-the-ground tie-in to Dark Crisis while the main stuff is going on. The cover shows Damian Wayne, who has been a mainstay in the uh, Batman vs. Robin and... Uh, all those adjacent books so we'll see where he factors in to this uh let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis as pariah's dark army continues its march around the globe damian wayne thinks he's got an answer as to why pariah is able to control the most dangerous cosmic villains of the multiverse and he's taking red canary and dr light on the road to see if he's right don't miss this thrilling dark crisis tie-in with direct connections to the present and future of the dcu i am always down for more dr light give me all of the dr light she needs to be in everything and i'm very intrigued by this red canary character we know literally nothing about her there are theories but i'm excited to pick this up so definitely check this one out next up we have defenders beyond number five this is written by al ewing with art by javier rodriguez this book has been an absolute delight and i have been loving every single issue i don't know how long this goes for i'm not sure um but i i don't know I don't know how many issues this is, but I've been loving the ride so far, and I can't wait to continue on with this. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis. Kether, the House of Ideas, the final trial of Loki. The final trial of Loki, America Chavez, and the rest of the Defenders sees them entering the one and only House of Ideas. Yeah, I love how weird and mind-bending this book has been so far, and I can't wait to pick up this next issue. Next up, we have Detective Comics number 1066. This is written by Rom V and Simon Spurrier with art by Ivan Race and uh, Hayden Sherman. I said the last time we uh, we chatted about Detective Comics that I really needed an issue to get me into what uh, what the story was because I was kind of falling away with it. And you know what? They Rob V basically said, you know what? He's gonna kick me in the shin and then gave me this comic because the last issue we had, I think it was 1065, was phenomenal. And I am all the way back in. So I'm really enjoying it. I'm kind of sad that we're losing out on Albuquerque for this issue, but Ivan Race is a pretty good replacement. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis. Gotham Nocturne, Act One. Something <laughs> Something in the way. Part one slash a tale of three halves. Part two or three. As a, a a quick side note, I don't think anybody can hear something in the way without thinking about Batman now. Uh, and you can you know talk as much shit about Gotham Knights as you want, and the game isn't perfect, but. They have an achievement once you defeat Clayface, spoilers, I guess, that the achievement is literally called Something in the Clay. And for that alone, the game gets five stars for me. So, yeah, I just, I, I love that. Uh, so the synopsis goes like this. As the Asmer Demon takes, takes hold of the Harvey Dent side of Two-Face, it's up to the bad side to save them both before it's too late. That is, if Harvey will give up the identity of Batman to help them. Meanwhile, the young Orgum heir Arzen meets Bruce Wayne for the first time, and Bruce sees potential in the boy. 
Yeah, so lots of plates spinning. I loved the Harvey Dent stuff from last issue, and I can't wait to see how they continue that. Next up, we have X-Men number 17. This is written by Jerry Duggan with art by Joshua Kassara. Uh, This book rules. It rules. I am really enjoying this second era of the team. I'm still waiting for Firestar to really, you know, earn that vote that she got. But hopefully this uh, this issue will get us one step closer to that. So let's go ahead and dive into this. I'm, I'm still I'm still salty about it. I'm still salty. Armor deserves to be on the team. Uh, but yeah, let's dive into the synopsis. The best laid plans. As the new X-Men team deals with a seemingly unstoppable foe, one X-Man wrestles with the fact that they've gone way too far, and another is shaken by unexpectedly getting exactly what they no longer allowed themselves to dream of. Yeah, very interested in this. We still have the, uh, the... I know they're not called the Tomorrow People. That was a show. Uh, but we've got the people coming from the world. Uh, that is a very, uh, very dangerous threat that Forge is dealing with by himself, basically. But I'm interested to see what other X-Men take the spotlight in this issue. Next up, we have Action Comics number 1049. This is written by Philip Kennedy Johnson with art by David LaFamme and Mike Perkins. This is continuing on the Cal-El Returns arc. Uh, Maybe the conclusion? of the Cal Returns arc. We've the next stop is Action Comics 1050, so I don't know exactly, but yeah, we are coming up on it real quick and I've been really enjoying the Cal Returns arc so far, so let's just see what they've got in store for part 5. Let's do, go ahead and dive into this. Kal-El Returns Chapter 5: The Fight Ahead slash Red Moon Part 3. We're only one month away from the mammoth, Action Comics number 1050, and tensions between the Super Family and Lex Luthor have never been higher. Meanwhile, in the Fortress of Solitude, Steel, Supergirl, and Kong Keenan repel an alien invasion. My boy! My sweet, bouncing baby boy, Kong Keenan! Ah, I'm so excited to see him. Uh, very excited about this issue. Cannot wait to read this. Next up, we have Daredevil number five. This is written by Chip Zdarsky with art by Marco Cicchetto, of course, or Cicchetto. I've been really enjoying this Daredevil run, as I have been saying for years. So I am very excited to find out what the next step is. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis. The Red Fist Saga, part five. After the biggest change to befall Matt Murdock in decades in the pages of Daredevil number 4, Matt Murdock and Electronachios embark on establishing a new world order, hand in hand. Double meaning with wording! I like it. I like it a lot. Uh, yeah, I've been loving Daredevil, and I'm excited to pick up this issue. Next up, speaking of excitement, we have Tim Drake Robin number 3. This is written by friend of the podcast Megan Fitzmartin and art by Riley Rosmo, and this book, it's just hitting everything that I really enjoy. I love me some Tim Drake, I love me some interpersonal drama, a community, and of course, a murder mystery! Very excited to pick up this next issue. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis. Did someone say goldfish? After a mysterious murder takes place in broad daylight, Tim, Detective Williams, and Darcy are led to three suspects, except they aren't real? Meanwhile, Tim's been so busy on this case, he's forgotten the case of the boyfriend. Where's Bernard? 
yeah, I am into this, been really enjoying the story so far. Cannot wait to pick up this next issue. Next up, we have The Amazing Spider-Man, number 14. This is written by Zeb Wells with art by Ryan Stegman, Michael Dowling, Terry Dodson, and Kyle Hutz. Uh, big one! We're kicking off uh, the Dark Web event, so I am very interested. This looks... Uh, says dark web prelude so it looks like this is going to be your uh your pit stop before we head into that event let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis spring summer fall winter dark web prelude we haven't seen chasm since amazing spider-man number 894 and the and the free comic book day issue, but that doesn't mean he hasn't been busy. Join us for this very special issue featuring Spidey's most dangerous new villain, as well as the Goblin Queen, and a brand new villain that you won't believe. Uh, I have softened over a little bit of time with the whole chasm thing. Uh, I'm always down to see more Ben Riley. I don't necessarily love the role but it is inarguable that he looks dope as hell so i am going to give this issue a chance to completely 180 me on the whole chasm thing we will see how this goes but the big book of the week the book i think you should absolutely be picking up is the human target number nine written by tom king art by greg smallwood this is so freaking good this is Probably DC's best book that they're putting out right now, right up there with uh, World's Finest. I've been absolutely loving it. Cannot wait to pick this up. And if the cover's anything to go by, thing business is about to pick up. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis. And when I have stolen upon these sons-in-law... Christopher Chance has only a few days left to solve his own murder. His investigation has been bumpy, to say the least, but will the murder of Guy Gardner finally catch up to the human target and end his search before the poison ends his life? Once Batman learns of his ex-teammate's disappearance, can anything stop the Dark Knight from uncovering the truth? Yeah, Batman, baby! This is about to be, uh, oh man, this is about to be real bad for the human target. Cannot wait to pick this up. But that does it for this week's Comics Countdown. To recap, we have Dark Crisis, The Dark Army number 1, Defenders Beyond number 5, Detective Comics number 1066, X-Men number 17, Action Comics number 1045, Daredevil number 5, Tim Drake Robin number 3, The Amazing Spider-Man number 14, and The Human Target number 9. This week, as you know, is Thanksgiving, and I have never been more thankful to be a comics fan. And that is going to bring us to the wrap-up. If this is your first time joining us on the Geeksplain podcast and you like what I do here, feel free to subscribe to us on the podcasting platform of your choice and give us a rating and review. We drop new episodes every single Wednesday, and honestly, ratings, reviews, and subscriptions really do help out me and the podcast in this weird podcasting algorithm space. Raises up our stock and gets us out and into the orbit of listeners just like you. And if you give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, whatever you want to call it, I will read your review here live on the podcast. You can write literally whatever you want. I will be forced to read every single word. As long as you give me those five stars, the sky is the limit on what you can write. 
And you'll be able to join the likes of our Red 13, including Seafire ND, Joshua Panels of Pixels, Matt Draper, Burrito Man 88, Doug from For Every Kind of Geek, Don Swanson, That Guy Brian, Mouth Dork, Dallas Meeks, Amazing Spider Fan, A-Lock and AZ, Sass and Jedi Jesse 20. I want to say a huge thank you to these fine folks for their reviews, and I cannot wait to hear yours. If you want to be part of our Geeksplained mailbag, send emails to geeksplained at gmail.com and put mailbag in the subject header, and I will read it here on the show. If you want to keep up to date with the podcast, we are on Twitter and Instagram for as long as Twitter <laughs> is uh, is still around. We're, we're toying around with the idea of this hive thing. We're working on it. But uh, if you want to keep up to date with the podcast, participate in polls that decide future episodes, or maybe just want to shoot the shit with me on the latest geeky news, follow us at Pod on Instagram and Twitter, and uh, I'll keep you updated on the hive thing. Finally... Every single Friday, we do the Geeksplain Book Club, where I, alongside my amazing friends, Joshua, or Malcolm, Joshua, Russell, Nelson, and Jacob Brown, uh, are going through every single issue of every single volume of Ultimate Spider-Man. We are taking this Friday off in observance of Thanksgiving, but next week, we are diving into the Ultimate Universe's last great event, that being cataclysm we're going to be covering the entire five issue cataclysm event as well as the three issue cataclysm ultimate spider-man tie-ins so make sure you tune into that next friday be there or be square not a circle but that does it for this week's episode uh november has been a tough month for a lot of people and i hope you are doing well i hope you are getting enough sleep and really spending time with the people you love because we need that now more than ever. Tell the people that you love, you love them. You never know how much time you have. Uh, But that is going to do it for me here. I want to say a very happy Thanksgiving to everyone who celebrates. If you are in the U.S. and you celebrate that, happy Thanksgiving. I hope you eat all of the turkey and have a nice food coma. Next week, we're going to be wrapping up November before we head off into December. So tune in next week for a brand new episode of the Geek Explained podcast. Same geek time, same geek channel. But for now, for the Geek Explained podcast, I've been Eric Azana. Thank you so much for listening. Everyone stay safe. Happy Thanksgiving, and we will see you next time. 